Good morning, and thank you for tuning in again to Driven to the Cross radio broadcast as part of Christ Covenant Church here in McAllen, Texas. Our prayer is that you are being blessed and edified by this, that you are also being encouraged, but that you're learning and wanting to draw closer to our Lord. So we're grateful that you are tuning in and listening. We hope that if you have questions, feel free to ask us. As you've been able to tell through our broadcasts, we love the Word of God, and that that is all we ever speak from. Why? Because that is the final authority. Would you join me in prayer this morning as we begin this session? Our Father, who art in heaven, Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus the Christ, with hearts that are full, recognizing our need and dependency upon you, our sovereign ruler. Father, we ask for your blessing upon us, your protection upon each and every one of us. We ask, O oh God, that you would be glorified in this process. Lord, you are refining this nation. You are causing this nation to have an awareness of you. We pray, Lord, that we will once again repent, and we ask that you will turn our hearts towards you, that you will forgive us of our sins, that you will cleanse us from this unrighteousness, and that you will restore this land to a place, to a nation that honors you. Lord, we recognize that we are a sinful people, that we are a people, O oh God, who have allowed our hearts to grow distant. And we ask that you would forgive us. Change us, Lord. As your word says, conform us more to the image of your Son on a daily basis. That you would be glorified. Lord, I ask that you will open our eyes and our ears and our hearts. Help us to receive what you have today. In Jesus' name, amen. As a reminder, I'd like to ask you guys to pray for these families of our fallen officers here in McAllen. It's never good when life is taken. Innocent life is taken in a line of duty. It's always painful. But more so, it strikes at the heart of our community. And it shows our need for a mighty God. One of the things that we recognize as Christians is that God has a purpose in everything. We don't always know what His purpose is, but we know that we serve the God of gods. We know that through all these trials and tribulations, God is seeking to draw His people closer to Him. In the book of Ezekiel, we find that very prevalently that through fires and pests and wars and famine and plagues, he says, then they shall know that I am the Lord. And our, my hope for you today is that you will know who God is. You will recognize who he is, and you will submit yourself to his authority. That's one of the key things that the Apostle Paul began to address in almost all of his writings. It was so prolific. He was so obsessed with this that 
when we look at Scripture in the context, we can see the desire of Paul to have his readers submit themselves to a holy God. And I would submit to you that that is a foreign idea in our culture today. I would submit to you that we are more comfortable with the sensual things, and we have a a difficulty with recognizing scriptural sin, but vilify cultural sin. One of the things that we need to do is recognize that if the Bible says it's sin, then it is sin, and we do not have the right or the authority to change that. But I want to take you today into the book of Hebrews. And in the book of Hebrews, we don't have an exact author. However, historically, the church has attributed it to being written by the Apostle Paul. And that is done because of the writing style. And uh, I'm not going to say that Paul wrote it, but I agree with other theologians that it is right to attribute it to him. In the book of Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews is obsessed with the fact of Christ being seated at the right hand of the Father. He is obsessed with causing this to be understood. And so one of the questions that I would have for you today as you're listening to this message is if the writers of the New Testament, if the writers of Scripture were obsessed in making known that Jesus Christ is in session, that he is ruling and reigning, and have it such a preeminent doctrine that is taught to the readers, why is it that we, as modern-day Christians, do not emphasize it as much? I would say that that is a failing of our churches. I would say that's a failing of our culture, our society, where we want to be so independent and almost make the authority of Christ as an attribute rather than an absolute. So think on this as we begin to go through this. And... I want you to consider in your life how important is it to you, how preeminent in your thought is it that Jesus Christ is seated at the right hand of God the Father. In Hebrews chapter 1, we're going to start at verse 1. He says, and he, he opens like this, God, who at sundry times and in divers manners, spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who, being the brightness of his glory, and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, 
sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. And that's verses 1, 2, and 3 in chapter 1 of Hebrews. Right out of the gate, right out of the the, the opening shot, if you will, the opening salvo of, of the book of Hebrews tells us the pattern of God. He tells us that in times past, in many different ways, God spoke to the prophets. But now, He spoke to us through His Son. And then, He does not leave out an important part, and that is the deity of Christ. He tells us, He tells us right in here, Listen to what he says, because if you notice in verse 2, he says, Hath in the last days spoken unto us by his Son. Paul saying the last days. And now he says, Whom hath appointed heir of all things, whom also he made the worlds. Think about this for a moment. We can go back into Genesis. We can go to John. We can go to Daniel. We can see that God spoke creation into existence. We can see that Jesus spoke creation into existence. In John 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He's expressing the deity of Jesus Christ. But then in verse 3, he does something else. And he says this, And upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins. If that isn't enough for you right there to see the deity of Christ, to see the purpose of Jesus Christ's coming, that he had paid in full, purged our sins on the cross of Calvary. Jesus himself did that. And then when that was accomplished, when that very instrument was used and accomplished, something else happened. Something else of vital importance. God purged our sins and then he sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. When Jesus said it is finished upon the cross, he was saying that the penalty for sin, the work that he had to do there was finished. His blood had been shed. He gave up the ghost. The penalty had been paid. And now, and now another action had to take place. After he was buried and rose from the dead, and then ascended, as we saw in Acts chapter 1, if you remember going back there, he ascended, had a promise given that we would see him return, and then and said he is seated. My friends, there's a purpose in that. That purpose is the ruling and reigning of Christ. The session had begun when he sat down. And we saw back last week in Romans, we saw that he was interceding for us. That is one of the jobs that he has to do. But let's go on here. I want to take you a little bit further in chapter 1 because there's some things we want to touch on. He says, being made so much better than the angels as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they, for unto which the angel said he at any time, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And again 
I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. Now, if we look at that, there's something that Paul is asking here. Something that he's saying. He's expressing that the angels are created, but that Christ is divine. He didn't say to any of the angels, Behold my son. He didn't declare any of the angels his son. Look at that. That's an important theological point. Because there are some sects of Christianity that will tell you that Michael the archangel is Jesus the Christ. But look at what it says here. It says, But which, for unto which of the angels said he at any time, Thou art my son? This day have I begotten thee, and again I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he had bringeth in the first begotten into the world, he saith, And let all the angels of God worship him. He's making a clear line, a clear demarcation here. That Jesus Christ is not the angel. The angels were designed, created. They worship God. They worship. One of their purposes here is that of worshiping God. They're to worship Jesus Christ. So they are bringing, he's bringing about here a clear line of understanding for us. And so we must be careful when we read scripture to read scripture. In saying that, what I'm trying to convey to you is that the Apostle Paul, or whoever wrote the book of Hebrews, was so intent on us understanding who Jesus Christ is that he has the authority to rule, to reign, to judge, to cause things to come to pass. That is what we're going to be getting into at the seated at the right hand. And it's important that Scripture tells us that it's at the right hand of God. Again, let me make clear to you that this is the the significant part of the right hand there, that it is referring to that of authority. If Christ was not seated on the right hand, he would not be seated with the authority to judge or rule and reign. He's given full might and power. And then look down here at verse 9. Actually, let me take you up here to verse 8. But unto the Son, unto the Son, referring again to Christ, he saith, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. My friends, this is important. Throughout this whole series so far, what we've been talking about is our responsibility, what we are commissioned to do, what we are called to do, what we are directed to do. And the scepter is the sign or the symbol of a kingdom. And what does it say right there? The scepter of righteousness. If we are to be followers of Jesus Christ, we are to be walking in righteousness. Not our own righteousness, but the righteousness of that of God. The righteousness imparted unto us through the blood of Jesus Christ. When his robe of salvation was placed upon us, it was a righteous robe. We see that in Zechariah chapter 3. When we find out that we have the robe of righteousness clothed 
around us, placed upon us by the decree of Jesus Christ himself, we should embrace that, dwell in that, be humbled by that, that the righteousness of God not only dwells within us, but is enshrouding us in all that we do. And so our actions, our submission to Christ, our submission to the authority of Christ, our ministering in the name of God should be done in righteousness because the Bible right here tells us that the scepter of the kingdom of God, of of Christ himself, is that of righteousness. If something is righteousness, it cannot have the unrighteousness in it. The unrighteousness is the sin, it is the filth, it is the sensuality, the carnality, the the fallen nature of man, the unredeemed. We are told we are a new creation in Christ. My friends, if we are to walk in accordance to Holy Scripture, we must recognize that our King is proclaiming righteousness. Not a worldly nature. Not a carnal nature. Not a nature that says, well, I'm going to go along to get along. Not a nature that endorses and embraces and condones sin because we don't want to offend. My friends, if the Bible calls it sin, it is sin. And we're told that we are to remove the unrighteousness from our camp because God walks among us. He tells us to remove the excrement, the filthy, the dirty things from our midst. He wants us as individuals, where we dwell, where we live, the the sphere of influence that we have to be one of righteousness. Not clouded, not soiled, not embracing the sinful things of the world. Remove the idols. Remove the things that tarnish your witness. Because the righteousness of Christ is the scepter of his kingdom. Thou hast loved righteousness. Listen, this is referring to Christ. Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. And thou, Lord, in the beginning hast laid the foundations of the earth. And the heavens are the works of thy hand. They shall perish, but thou remainest. And they all shall wax old as doth the garment. And as a vesture shalt thou fold them up. And they shall be changed, but thou art the same, and thy years shall not fail. But to which of the angels said he at any time, Sit on my right hand, until I make thine enemies thy footstool? Are they not all ministering spirits, sent forth to minister for them, who shall be heirs of salvation? This is referring to your spiritual inheritance, my friends. If Christ, and he is, is seated at the right hand of God the Father. And his scepter is that of righteousness. And it says here, Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. And we are bought with the very blood of Christ. Should not our lives be the exemplary example of the things that God loves? This is our duty. Should we not as individuals be exemplifying the attributes that God has here, that we should love righteousness, that we should hate iniquity. And then notice what he says. 
This is the preeminence of Christ. This is the sinlessness of Christ. This is Christ being exalted, for he is the creator. Hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellow. Above all, above all those around us, that oil, that Holy Ghost oil. And thou, Lord, in the beginning, and this is the reason that the writer of Hebrews goes on and explains this in, in Hebrews chapter 1 here, is he's showing the eternal existence of Christ. And that is something that we must recognize and get into our soul. Because for many people, they have a hard time recognizing that Christ was not a modern-day man. He was there from the beginning. He was there before time began. He spoke creation into existence. While we will grow old and one day die, God does not. While society changes, God does not. While wants and attributes change and sensitivities change, God does not. While we constantly change, while ideas of what is acceptable or not acceptable change, God does not change. If we serve an unchanging God, which we do, a question that I have for you then, and it should be very simple, why is it that we try to redefine sin? Why is it that we try to change what God has decreed? It's because we create an idol in our own minds and in our own hearts so that we can feel better about ourselves rather than acknowledging that we are a sinful, fallen being and we need to stop being rebellious and start acknowledging and accepting the holiness of God. When we fight against God, it's a losing battle. When we try to justify our own actions of our, with our own abilities, with our own volition, with our own desires, to make us feel better about how we act, what we think, and we put that attribute onto God that he would be the individual that would condone, then what we are doing essentially is saying we are God. Because we have created an idol in our mind that condones our thoughts and our actions that go contrary to the Word of God. Remember, God does not change, my friends. God does not change. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And as such, the things that God decreed to be righteous are still righteous. The things that God decreed to be unholy are still unholy. The things that God decreed that were needed to be done for Christ to fulfill the law were done. The things that are required for salvation are done. When God says that those whom he predestined, that he predestinated, that he foreknew, that's because he is God. We do not get to choose what is right and what is wrong. If the Bible decrees it, that's it. That is the solid, final word of authority on the matter. We do not have the right to change the Word of God. 
Now, let, let me take you over here a little bit further into this chapter. Notice verse 14, and this is something I want to give you to encourage you. Verse 14 of Hebrews chapter 1 speaks about ministering angels. In a time when our culture is in desperate need, and I sincerely mean this, our country is in desperate need of Christians. Our country is in desperate need of those who follow Jesus Christ, who will not waver in the things of God. We have so many people today, all you have to do is turn on the news, turn on the television, listen to the radio, and you hear the distress. You see the calamity around the world. You can hear the vitriol of opposing views. And what we need is the Christian to offer the steadfast assurance of the view that Jesus Christ still rules and reigns, that he still has sovereign authority. My friends, when we submit ourselves to the will of God and we are conformed through the trials and tribulations, the forging of our soul, the removal of the dross from our lives, when we submit that to the will of a mighty God, what takes place is this. We are conformed more into the image of Christ for the glory of the God who redeemed our soul, that we can be that living, breathing testimony in this time of trial and trouble. For many of you, you have a fear of the unknown. You have a fear that is fed into you by the over-stimulation and saturation of media. And as such, that paranoia begins to take place. But submit your fear to the God of peace the one who provides everlasting life. Dear friends, you can know Christ and you can serve the King of Kings. It does not matter what happens to this body. What matters is where you will spend an eternity. I want to thank you for listening today. I want to remind you, you can go to Facebook. Uh, we have our Christ Covenant McAllen Facebook page. And you can go to our website, ChristCovenantMcAllen.org. We're on YouTube at Christ Covenant McAllen. And you can watch our videos. You can send us an email. You can call us. We would love to hear from you. We have donate buttons on Facebook and on our website. We would love to have your support because all that we're doing goes back out into the community. So would you contact us? Would you reach out to us? Would you allow us to help encourage you in this time of need? Again, thank you for tuning in to Driven to the Cross as part of Christ Covenant McAllen. Thank you. May God bless you.
May you be encouraged in all that you do for the glory of Christ.